Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Hey everyone, how's it going out there in the internet land? Uh, I was just talking to myself a second ago. I, I thought I had already gone live uh, and I didn't. I forgot to press a crucial button. So I was here dancing along, talking to myself. But I'm excited uh, for all of you guys who are out there uh, following along with us in the internet land, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, this is an exciting day. Uh, we are finishing our 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 epic journey, Summer of Saul. Uh, it's been it's in quite a journey. It's been fun. I've learned a lot, as always, whenever I, I do these types of things. So I'm excited to have you guys all with us. Exciting announcements for you know potential of what could be happening in the future as we kind of wrap up today. Some final thoughts on Paul and the book of Ephesians or the letter to the Ephesians. And we're going to get into it. I have some of my friends here. Oh, I have Mr. Dwight Harbin there with a cowboy hat. Well, What's I up, said, my man? So I was back in the saddle. So I just thought <laughs> let you know. Oh, man. Sir. Wow. After having the plague, how do you feel? Uh, man, I'm bucking that horse. <laughs> I feel great. I oh, feel so man. much, man. I. I tell you that new one is no joke. So, oh wow, you got the uh, the Delta variant? Yeah, actually did. Oh man, but I feel so much better. Now. Okay, you feel you feel one hundred percent? You feeling good? You feel one hundred percent now. Yep. Nice. Yep. How's everyone else doing? Andre, how you doing out there in Ohio? In the car again? Yeah, in the car. <laughs> oh, good, man. It's all good. I'm, I'm going to do one of these one day in my car, too, so I can, like, join you. I'll be live in my car. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be a cool show. I, I like it. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. I, I thought I joined the wrong, uh, the wrong <laughs> studio here. I thought it, maybe it was some kind of... Uh, farm report or something going on. <laughs> no, no, it's just Dwight. <laughs> Dwight being Dwight. Oh, wow. Looking he's, good, Dwight. Yeah, man. Let's go. He's, you've gone full cowboy, I guess. Uh, oh, I got my rodeo belt. Uh, almost got a, a pair of uh, boots that fit, so I'm ready. Yes, I. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Oh, yeah. I'm getting mixed signals from da Daniel. Now I'm telling. I'm getting from Daniel. Leave Dwight alone. So I don't know exactly <laughs> what to make of all this. <laughs> oh man. But Dwight, I'm glad you're feeling better. 
glad you guys are here for we're, we're circling the last lap of our summer of scripture um our, our series on paul summer of saul summer of paul uh gonna do a few more thoughts with ephesians and then if we have time we'll um we'll look forward to you know maybe what could be ahead some things we could do in the future so i think that will be fun but uh everyone everyone ready today everyone ready to just dive right in there you go. All right. And, and, and Daniel Makoko was really, he was digging the hat. He's saying that you look cool, Dwight. So you, you have a, you have a fan out there. You have, you have some people. Yeah. I need a fan right now. That hat is hot. I have to yep. check. Not stylized, but uh, hot. <laughs> it's good. It's good when the sun's out, but when you get inside it is, it causes me to sweat. <laughs> Gotcha. Gotcha. Right, right in the comments. If you would like to hear Dwight do a message one day, uh, full cowboy mode, uh, with the cowboy hat, maybe like some type of cool vest, the spurs on a pony. That would, that would be, that'd be amazing. Or if you want to see me do that, I'll, I'll do that too. <laughs> that, that would, that would be fun. All right, cool. Uh, so let's, let's get into it. Uh, if you're just joining us, if you're just finding us now, you can go back and you can catch up on all the fun stuff we did. This is our summer of scripture. Uh, we've been doing a deep dive into Paul, the first summer of scripture ever. We've been doing a summer of Saul or summer of Paul. Uh, we've been having these Sunday seminars where we kind of go through some stuff. We've gone through, um, you know, two introductory lessons to Paul. We've done some deep dives into Ephesians. Uh, I keep saying this, but when I first conceived this course, I was like, oh, by Ephesians part six, we'll be, we'll be done with Ephesians and we'll have some other stuff to talk about today. Uh, little did I know that it always takes a lot longer than, than you think, at least for me. Maybe it's just a me issue. And uh, we, are, we, are, we have not quite done the deep dive into Ephesians that we have, but I hope that we've given ourselves enough of a taste that we, you know, we're excited to go in and learn more. We read some books together. Those should all be done. We did some scripture journaling. Uh, those are always good to have, even if you're joining us now and you want to be taking your own note, own note, notes, noids, notes, taking your own notes. They're good things to take your notes in. Uh, again, please consider supporting us on Patreon. That helps us a bunch just to do all the rad stuff that we're doing, uh, just to do more of it and just to bring you guys more cool stuff. So this is, uh, again, our victory lap here or whatever you want to call it. Uh, we are rounding to the finish. Um, we have some final thoughts. Uh, here's some stuff that we've covered. Remember Ephesians, it's an experience of the apocalypse. One through three is comprehending the apocalypse. One through three is comprehending the apocalypse. Uh, four through six is responding to the apocalypse. That's, a, that's always a sign that I need to slow down when I start uh, tripping over my words. Uh, we looked at the macro structure of one through three. We saw the chiastic structure. We saw Jesus in the center going up to the top of the mountain where Jesus was. We had the song of praise, prayer, Two mini narratives that kind of connected to Jesus in the center. And on the way out, we had another narrative, which is Paul's little mini biography, another prayer, and another song of praise. We looked at the macro structure for four to six. It's more of a bookend structure, right? So you have on either end, either side, you have Paul talking about the unity, how important unity is. Uh, we're going to look at some of that today. Uh, unity, but not uniformity, unity and diversity. And he kind of ends it with, you know, the, the need to fight for that unity or the need to work at keeping that unity alive. And in the middle, he kind of paints a picture of opposing forces, these kind of forces that want to keep uh, 
the new humanity from being one humanity and being divided and how those things need to be resisted. Uh, we looked at the two ages diagram, which we we're going to refer to. We referred to again and again and again. We'll probably even refer to it today. This is kind of the idea that Paul had in his mind. This is something that Paul would have would have been thinking about when he was writing. Remember, we want to be kind to Paul. We want to be good neighbors to Paul. And we don't want to import into what Paul's writing uh, what we think he's saying, right? Because we're coming from a point of view thousands of years later, uh, where we think maybe maybe this is our maybe this is our point of view, right? Many people can feel like Christianity is about I want to go to the good place, I don't want to go to the bad place, I want to go to heaven, I don't want to go to hell. Uh, and so, you know, we import that sometimes into our reading of scriptures, and we that's just one example. There are many, many others, depending on the tradition and point of view you're coming from. Uh, but Paul's worldview had more of the whole biblical story inside of his head and kind of what they thought was culminating to was this idea of this current age, which is characterized by evil, sin, death, slavery, violence under a curse and the age to come after the day of the Lord, there'd be justice, love, life, freedom, shalom or rest and blessing. And this idea of that, that kind of shocked Paul was that this wasn't like a one-time event and then everything, you know, switched from this age to the age to come, but Jesus inaugurated the age to come with his death and resurrection. And there is a promised return when he'll make all things right. But it's as if new creation has inv invaded the present. The age to come has invaded this age. And we get to live into the new age, the new heaven and earth today, the king or the kingdom. All right. So awesome. So today's plan, uh, we will do our best to get through. I will stop us at some point. Uh, because we need to wrap up uh, this series. Um, we are going to be doing, uh, we're going to be looking at unity, not uniformity. We're going to be looking at uh, the New Testament writer's use of scripture. This is always something that's fun to look at when you look at Paul, because Paul is a master at this. Um, this, one re this one reason alone is why you know, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that the majority of Christians don't read their Bibles as closely as they should, because I feel like this this would be more of a problem if we were really reading our uh, scriptures a little bit better. We're going to be looking at what's called the household code, the armor of God, and we'll we'll take some time to look ahead. Jimmy, I'm sorry to interrupt. I think Nick is trying to get in. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Sorry about that, Nick. <clears throat> Hey, Nick, how's it going there? Sorry, buddy. You're mad at me. <laughs> I kept you out of class. Yeah, sorry, man. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. How, how you doing today? Oh, it's been a long day, man, but I'm all right. How was the uh, Alessio soccer game? Uh, it was all right. It was all right. They, they lost 2-1, but it was okay. Uh, how, how is Italy doing in the World Cup um, qualifiers? Um, they're in first place in their group, but one of the teams – uh, has played less games, so they could be tied if the other team, you know, wins their games or whatever. But right now, they're in first place. All right, cool. Well, glad to have you, man. I'm glad you could make yeah. it. I, I know you weren't sure if that was going to happen today. Yeah. So cool, awesome guys. All right, cool. So just in time, we're about to jump into uh, Ephesians four verses one through sixteen, where we're going to be talking about unity, uh, but not uniformity. And and what that what that means to us and what that means for uh, you know reading Paul and 
reading Ephesians in general and just how we live life uh, as Christians, how we try and build community. Uh, so Paul has a lot, a lot of ideas that he lays out in chapters one through three. Um, and really, sometimes he's even kind of mentioning stuff, as we'll see in a little bit, that this was probably like months worth, if not years worth of Bible studies that he did with groups that he kind of just refers to. And he kind of expects all of his readers or his listeners to be tracking with. Uh, he goes through, as we'll see in the second part of the letter, and he starts picking up a lot of these concepts, a lot of these lines of thought, and he continues them. So he kind of lay, he puts a whole bunch of stuff on the table. This is very characteristic of Paul. He probably does, I think, the best job at keeping one cohesive narrative in Ephesians. Sometimes like in Romans or Corinthians, he kind of does pick up thoughts, but then he kind of just, he kind of leaves them there. And in, in other places in his letters, he does talk more extensively about some of the stuff that he does mention in Ephesians, but Ephesians has a very nice cohesive structure. Uh, again, just like we said, this would have this could have represented months of deeper Bible study uh, that either Paul would have done or his students would have done all through that Lystra Valley that Ephesian the Ephesus was a part of, right? So as an example, we can even just we can just go through it in uh, chapter four, verse one. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So, you know, right there, and this is the ESV, in case you guys are following along with your own Bibles. Uh, you know, he kind of picks up a strand from chapter 2, verse 10. For we are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this idea that the original intention for humanity is somehow, you know, being opened up again by what Jesus did on the cross and, you know, that we're being called to walk in it. So again, this is the switching point. Paul is about to go in. Okay. Now we've had the apocalypse. How do we respond to it? So you should be thinking the two ages diagram, the new humanity opened up a whole new way to live. That was the original intention of God's purpose for humanity. Uh, good. So, <clears throat> In verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So, you know, Paul is recognizing here that this is this is not easy. This is not something that it just happens, right? If you're not working on your relationships, you're probably in the process of losing your relationships. If you're not in the process, you know, of working on your health, for instance, you're probably in the process of, you know, losing your health, of maybe gaining some extra pounds, of being not so physically fit as you used to be. If you're not this, you know, it's just a natural, seems to be a natural rule, almost like a power or a force of existence that things over time decay and we just need, we need to work at them. So Paul seems aware of this and he's, you know, he's got a lot of these ideas floating around his head, the ideas of the powers, trying to keep this new humanity apart trying to keep everything separated uh the idea of the now and the not yet right from our two ages diagram that even though we are still living in a world that doesn't appear like it's been conquered by peace it doesn't appear that it's been conquered uh by god who wants to bring the world back together that we do get to live into that reality now and that this is in truth the the true intention for humanity it's you know it's very similar to um the work God wanted Adam and Eve to do originally in the garden, go, you know, go, you know, be fruitful and multiply, subdue, 
the world, the idea of you know having to work at making the rest of the world like Eden. Uh, so, yep. Four through six, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So again, you know, Paul being a rabbi, he, he just, he can't really seem to help himself, right? Again, he's, how many ones are there? There's seven, there's seven of them. So you should be thinking about Sabbaths and, and cycle of Sabbaths. The year of Jubilee, cool thing about the year of Jubilee, right? There's no evidence necessarily that this actually ever happened in Israel, but everything in, in, at the culmination of these Sabbath cycles was supposed to go back together. So if you were in debt, right, all of a sudden your debts were canceled. If you, if you had lost your ancestral land because of, you know, some choices you had made or someone maybe had taken advantage of you, that land was supposed to go back to you. So there's this idea of the rearranging of the geography of Israel back to its initial state of when they first came into the promised land, right? With this idea of the inheritance for all the tribes. So all that was going to be going back together. And, you know, he can't really help himself. He kind of summarizes the, the poem from chapter one. So we're going to look a little closer at the, the sevens just to kind of see uh, the idea how Paul's picking up some of these strands. We won't spend too much time on it because I want to move us forward uh, rather quickly out of this section. So you have the idea of the seven ones, right? So you have one body, right? Temple garden. This is, should be making us think of that uh, where the spirit dwells right now. It gets to dwell in his believers. Jesus, that's Jesus's present incarnation, which is us. This echoes back to chapter one, verse 23, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, or 3.6. This is the mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Remember that shocking revelation, that shocking apocalypse that Paul had, that Gentiles and Jews are not now together in one, in one family. The idea of one spirit, right? The power that raised Jesus from the dead and now empowers the church and now empowers us going again back to 120, right? What he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him as his right hand in the heavenly places or 316. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love or 320. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us. So this idea of this one spirit that is now also in, in supposedly us, in this church, right? In this new family, this new humanity. One hope, future re redemption and inheritance. Remember, again, the two ages diagram, that future hope, new creation, the now and the not yet. We're both living in the shadow of the cross and the resurrection and that new reality and we're waiting for it to be fulfilled, for everything to be fulfilled. And he hearkens back to, you know, different scriptures again. So he's picking up these lines of thought and he's continuing, continuing them. Uh, chapter 1, 11 through 14, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. One eighteen, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Remember, when you read saints, you should hear holy ones, right? Those spiritual beings that haven't rebelled and the nation of Israel when they're at their best. 316, 
that according to the richness of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Remember when we traced out in scripture, uh, the concept of the inheritance or the concept of the blessings, right? Paul is expecting us to recall these things, these threads, these lines of thinking that he picks up. One Lord, Jesus enthroned as a cosmic ruler of both the heavens, the powers, and the earth, humanity, right? Israel plus the nations, the Gentiles with the chosen people. And again, it goes back to 1 2023. Again, you know, remember all that, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So all this is connected. One faith, the open secret of the good news, the crucified and risen Messiah, right? So one baptism, right? The um, being incorporated into the family of God, right? Into the resurrection and the new covenant of humanity. And finally, we have one God and Father of all. The God of Israel is also the God of the nations. I feel like I haven't done a deep study in all of the religions of the world. Um, I'm sure, you know, I would love to hear from an expert one day. Maybe we can have them on the podcast and interview them. But I do feel like the Hebrew scriptures kind of stand unique in the, in the fact that their origin story isn't just the origin story of them and how they're superior, right? The origin, Their origin story... Uh, is that, you know, they come from a broken world, a world that's been broken by human evil and human choices. And this is the story of how God's going to bring it all back together. Uh, cool. So let's continue with our, in Ephesians 4, let's pick it up again in 7 through 8. But grace, remember grace just means gift, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. So we're going to get that. We're going to get back to that quote from Psalm 68 in a second, because I find that very intriguing. Uh, unity, not uniformity. So this is emphasized in new humanity. Um, it's much different than any, everyone being the same thing, having the same gift. He begins, he's starting to develop this argument of the diversity in a new humanity for the, you know, his, the new people, the new humanity. Um, this isn't something that, you know, is is wrong or supposed to be challenging. This is supposed to be something that it's supposed to be designed into the way everything is. So let's continue for nine through 10 and saying he ascended. So he kind of has a moment where he kind of gives like, you know, a little lesson on this. What does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So this is whole idea of an actual, you know, you have to be thinking like a, you know, a first century Jew. This, there's an actual geography here, you know, heaven up above earth down below. Right. And then the abyss, those chaos waters below. Um, let's go to 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So again, this idea of gifts, right? This quotation from Psalm 68, various leaders, right? In the Greco-Roman world, leadership was based on intrinsic worth, you know? Here, uh, leadership is based on the gift or grace and not the worthiness of the leader, 
So that's something to keep in mind if, if you lead a group of people, right? Or if you know a person who leads a group of people, I think a lot of times the way even we still think about leadership is leadership is something special about the person. They've been called, they've been chosen. There's something about like something that they have. But in this point of view, it's all it's all a gift. God's giving people a gift so that they can go out and then they can do these various things uh, to build up the body of Christ, right? Again, this idea of this temple or garden imagery, even though, you know, you have a beautiful building, uh, you have a garden space, this Eden-like space where heaven and earth is supposed to overlap. You still need to work at it. You still need to work and and help. Um, equip the saints, holy ones for work, 210, the good work that was the initial purpose of humanity to rule or subdue fill the earth with the image of God. And we know that they, you know, we ended up filling the earth with blood and violence instead of that. 4.13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of his, of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, you know, again, unity versus individual. I think, you know, we've, most of Christianity, I think, you know, most people, when they first encounter Ephesians, they tend to read Ephesians as very like me centric, you know, but this is something that it's only possible uh, in a community. So even though we have all of our individual flaws, even though, yes, we're still working on this and, you know, we still give into the powers and we have to repent and change corporately, right? We should be attaining to this. We should be looking more and more like Christ, right? Ephesians 4, 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So this idea of being mature, right? You know, not being caught up by, you know, little points of the law, little points of doctrine, right? Remembering the big picture, what this is all about, right? It's not necessarily about who's right and who's wrong. It's about humanity coming together. And when, whenever humanity comes together, you're going to have a diversity of opinions. You're going to have a diversity of thoughts. You're going to have a diversity of just ideas of how we should be doing things. And at the end of the day, how can we, we all come back together? Well, Paul gives some pointers in 4, 15 through 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So speaking the truth in love, if you refer back to our logical flow outline, probably a more appropriate translation would be doing truth or truthing in love, uh, grow like a complex, but organized body, right? This idea that th there needs to be like almost these truth actions that we do to each other like to show each other what's really important, um, what's really, you know, what God really wants, what's really the most important thing um, is just being this one, this one thing that's unified, but in that unity, not feeling that we all need to be the same thing because all those different gifts that Paul just talked about. And we'll talk a little bit more about head. Uh, it is interesting that in English, right, when we say the word head, it could, it could, I think most people today would take head to mean, okay, they're, they're the boss. That's the authority, right? But head in the, the Greek word that's underneath here, it means more of like a trailhead or the head of a river, right? 
or the source, the source or uh, the starting point. So that's something interesting for hopefully what we'll talk about later. So we kind of flew through that, but let's see if we can have a discussion here. How does unity usually express itself in the church and how does the concept of unity through diversity change things? So even unity, not necessarily in a church, but in any group of people, how does how does unity usually express ourselves? And people are like, all right, we're going to be unified here. Uh, but how does this idea of maybe unity through diversity, how do you think that could potentially change things? Any thoughts? Well, um, I've been... I've been a member of, of a group that started many, many years ago, many years ago, that just wanted to get back to basics. And <laughs> it got split and split and split and split because of arguments right. over issues where they majored in the minors, if you want to coin a phrase or use a trite phrase. And where unity through you know, diversity where you, you can have agree to disagree over some things that really do not matter, but unity and the things that Paul was talking about uh, the seven, the seven issues, you know, the body, the spirit, the hope, the faith, the Lord, you know, where we're unified in that, but we don't have to be uniform in all of these little minor things. Uh, yeah. can cause us to push forward much greater and help us to to cause great things or God can use us in great ways. Whereas if we're fussing and fighting and biting and devouring, in other words, over these little things that cause us to not go anywhere, um, that would definitely change because we've all got different opinions that don't matter whereas the foundational things do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think would be some foundational things that would matter? Uh, the cross, the resurrection, the fact that God brought humanity, a new humanity uh, brought us together through these things. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I'm just curious. This is a question that, you know, it's really been, I've been meditating it very carefully on it for the last couple of years or so. Cause you know, I think in one sense, when a lot of times, even in the past, when I've used the word unity, what I really meant, I think at the time was, okay, let's be unified. I want everyone to agree with me. You know, that, and I felt like that was, that was me. I was like, all right, guys, let's be unified here. But it's not like, I was looking to like hash it out with anybody. I was like, okay, everyone needs to agree with me because we need to, we need to do some stuff here. Uh, so it's been a, a concept I've been wrestling with is especially once I started seeing some of the stuff in the scripture about unity and diversity. Okay. God just didn't give us like, you know, if it's, you know, the tradition I came from, God just didn't give us evangelists, right. To like, to lead us. Right. Or just elders. Right. Uh, there, there's all these other parts and, you know, I think there's one, there's one school of thought, well, you know, Paul was giving us all of the components that we would need for leadership for all time, you know, and some of them have gone away. There's no more apostles. Some would say there's no more prophets, uh, but maybe there's like, there's a different 
thing we can learn here that, you know, in Paul's conception of the leadership of this new type of humanity, there were supposed to be all these different various roles and they were supposed to do different things. They were supposed to have uh, different ways of doing things. And, and how does, how does that work? How do you make like, a, a, to me, if that was a corporation, that, that would sound like a really messy corporation. Um, but you know, there has been a lot of work lately in, in those spaces. Like, uh, there's a book called the team of rivals where someone examines Abraham Lincoln's cabinet. When he first became president, he basically took all of his enemies and he put them in a room, right? This is like a 10 year old book or a 15 year old book at this point. Uh, you know, Patrick Leonti, uh, death by meeting, uh, you know, the advantage he talks about, you know, like having a meritocracy where you, you hash stuff out, you know, you even argue with each other and you respect that. Um, someone else I can't think of, he wrote a book called Principles, Ray Dalio, who's an investment banker. He also, he, he coined it. I think that idea of meritocracy where he expected the secretary in his, in his office to the intern, so the person who's been there for 20 years, all have an opinion in his meeting. And if you wanted to come into his meeting, you couldn't be quiet. You had it, you know, and it would just be like, it wouldn't be the best person would win. It would be like the best idea. So kind of went off on a little tangent, but, you know, just this idea of, well, how does this, how does this work? You know, I so, honestly, I feel like, you know, getting away from the corporate view mm -hmm. and understanding that the body is, the body of Christ is not an organization, but an organism. And some of this, you know, as so far as leadership coming from a source, coming from a start, has to do with people seeing a need, seeing different needs. As you said, there, some of the leadership that uh, Paul had was meeting some of the needs. The, the apostles are gone. You know, some of the, the prophets aren't there. Because they, those were the needs of the time. There are people here now that pick up and see needs and go. You know, we come together to, uh, we're in a very small uh, Jesus group, if you would. If you want to call them churches, if you want to call them the ecclesia, if you want to call them political groups, whatever. But they come together to see, meet the needs. And whoever has an ability for source, that's where it goes. But it's got to be organic. It can't be corporate. In a way, the, the unity has to come from who has the ability to meet the need and not from a structural, artificial type of uh, organization. At least, I think that comes back from the way Jesus seems to have have uh, and what I think Paul would show from the things that people who have these abilities are the ones that should be able to use them. Cool. Any other thoughts? Go for it, Nick. Yeah, no, I appreciate what, what Dwight shared. <clears throat> um, I think it, <clears throat> it really all depends because um, once we're already divided as a as any kind of a denomination, you know, especially when, when we say we're a non-denomination, we're just lying. <laughs> you know what I mean? We end up becoming a denomination. Um, so that already separates the unity so often because we've, we've made that decision that 
you know, that somehow our, our way of thinking is, is correct. So I think it requires a lot of trust, kind of like what Dwight was saying, like there's some real basics, but you know, like, but at the same time, there are some things that some people consider negotiable and other people consider non-negotiable. And then that just creates, so the unity of the, of the church as a whole, it's, it's just so challenging because I think it goes kind of back to what you were talking about is Paul's vision of things is not about how to get out, how to not go to hell. It's about bringing heaven to earth. And, you know, if we could maybe say like um, Tim Mack used that phrase, like getting the hell out of people, getting the hell out of their lives. If my goal is to help people's lives get better and to make this world a better place, then like it's different than if I think I'm trying to get them because, you know, out of hell, because God is angry with them, because with, with that other thing, then there's too much riding. Oh my gosh, there's hell on the line. There's too much riding. I have to be right. We have to draw lines and we can't, we can't be unified over certain things. So then we're trying to make people change to our, our opinion. And then even within those particular groups, um, there, no matter where, there always has to be this certain level of trust. Like there just has to be like real trust. And I, I think of it like, you know, like a, like a war or like a, a duel. Like if I'm holding a gun and you're holding a gun and I'm like, all right, listen, you want to call, you know, truce? Say, so, yeah, okay, well, you put you down your gun first. Like that's the real sign of trust. Who's willing to put his, his gun down first. Hmm. Um, and I think like we, that is why I think it's, you know, this scripture doesn't really get played out that way because there's almost some prerequisites. Hmm. Uh, so we just kind of get up in our own camps of what we, what we believe and whatnot. And then I think that, you know, it's hard because I, I think it's a real nuanced and, and balanced thing. And I think you can't ever just rest on a particular this is the only way I think as people change, different people enter different situations come in life. We have to constantly reevaluate and say, okay, what are we about now? Or what are we doing now? Or what needs are we meeting now? And where do I need to grow now? And I think that's just hard. Sometimes people like patterns and things being structured and being in stone, which I think is good, but I guess it just kind of depends where we get our security from. Because I think that sometimes we get our security from structure rather than this other thing that we're doing in this new humanity, you know? So I don't know if I answered a question or just said a bunch of stuff, but <laughs> no, I think, I think it's good. I think it is. It's complicated. It's a complicated question, you know, cause uh, yeah, it's a, it's a complicated question. I think, uh, you know, I think the important part for me that, I, that I've kind of come out of all of this is, you know, in my own experience, it feels easier in the moment to get things done just to get everyone on my agenda, you know? And what I've learned for me is that I have to kind of just, I have to think back and be maybe, maybe some of these dissenting voices here, maybe those are gifts that God's given them that I I need to, I need to respect and make space for, right. You know, in in my leadership or whatever I'm trying to do um, so that, you know, I'm, I'm not in a sense ignoring God or ignoring stuff that maybe God's given to other people that's supposed to enrich, uh, you know, this unity that we're supposed to be a part of. And if I look around and I see everyone that looks like me, talks like me, 
uh, then, then I, I might have, I might have a problem, you know? So I think that that's a, that's a really, it's a really tough question. And I, I think it just takes a lot of humility of being like, okay, am I the, am I the hub of the wheel? Cause I probably shouldn't be the hub of the wheel. <laughs> you know, that should be, that should be Jesus. Or I, I shouldn't be the source, right? That should be, that should be Jesus. Um, the spirit should be empowering us through diversity uh, to really just, you know, when I say diversity, I mean a diversity of opinions. I don't necessarily mean a person's ethnic or, you know, socioeconomic background. I mean, uh, you know, tr- true diversity where it's like, you know, we might not agree with each other on some fundamental things, but we're still family, you know, which we, me and Andre actually kind of had a cool talk about this, about that last week as well. Um, I'm not sure if it was before or after uh, our last session, but let's get to the next topic because this this one's fun for me. I, I love this one. This was my first crisis that I ever had as a Christian where I was like, whoa, it wasn't necessarily this, uh, this passage of scripture. I don't remember what it was, but I remember just being so confused and not really able to get like a good answer. Uh, this is something that it's not unique to Paul. The other New Testament authors do this as well. Um, and what they do is what we're going to talk about in a second. So consider the example here from when Paul quotes from Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Right now, if you have if you have a cool NIV study Bible, this isn't really a study Bible, but I'm not sure if you guys can see it. Like in the center, it has those little scripture references. Right, you're like, oh, cool. It sounds like Paul here is quoting from the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. I'm going to go look that up. Uh, the only problem is, is when you go to look that up. It's, it doesn't seem to be correct, right? So in uh, the Hebrew text or the Masoretic text and 68, 18, and you can even look this, look this up in your regular NIV, it says, you ascended to the height, uh, you took captive the captives, you received gifts among men. Or you can go to the Septuagint, 68, 19, you ascended to the height, you took captive the captives, you received gifts among men. So it seems like it seems different, you know, and that, that really bothered me uh, when I was first getting into all of this. Uh, Cause it seemed like at times, like the new Testament authors were quoting scripture in the old Testament, but they were getting things wrong, you know? And so at first I thought, well, maybe their sources were different. Maybe their sources were different, but you can go up and look, the, look at their sources with, you know, a high degree of certainty And it's not there. And none of the, you know, the other uh, translation committees, you know, they they didn't go back and correct all this. Uh, You know, they kind of just left it here. Um, So, you know, I think this is why I feel like sometimes like, you know, like a lot of us, we don't really read the Bible as as closely as we should, you know, or or eventually we don't. Uh, Because, you know, the question is just like, okay, did, did Paul just misquote scripture here? Uh, and I feel like a, a common explanation, the one that I, I was given when I first had my, my crisis, was that the New Testament writers were able to do things with Scripture that were unique. So if they were writing, if they were writing Scripture, they could they could do different things. They weren't held to the same standard. If I tried to hand in a paper, right in seminary, and I misquoted a Scripture, they would look that up. <laughs> they would look that up, and they'd be like, "No, that that's not. I would not get a good grade, right?" And uh, you know, it seemed to be like even counterintuitive because I was always taught to 
okay, don't, don't just take what the evangelist says. Don't just take what people are, are telling me is true. Always wrestle with these scriptures myself. So uh, there's a, a problem with this explanation. I think right away is like, you know, again, this isn't, this is Paul's mail. And I know I, gr- I agree that this, this is scripture. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily agree that Paul necessarily understood that he was writing scripture at the time. And I, I say that because, you know, primarily is because we don't, we don't have everything else. We don't have all of his other letters, you know, and the church fathers right after Paul, they did assemble their letters because they expected that people would read them after they were gone, but they didn't necessarily think that they were going to be scripture either. Uh, so it's always kind of like, it's always kind of bothered me, like why it wasn't a bigger deal to, to more people. Uh, but it, it led me to some really, really cool and interesting places. And, and I, and I want to share that with you guys. Um, so if you look at the rest of Psalm 68, so what I think Paul is doing here is that he doesn't necessarily have just the line that he's quoting on his brain. He has the whole Psalm, right? And he has the whole Hebrew scriptures in his brain. So he's doing something very interesting here. Let's see if, if we can catch it. Uh, in verse 32, it says, O kingdoms of the earth, and this is in ESV, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord, Shalah, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice, ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. So what, what did Paul do here? So Paul kind of took the beginning of the Psalm, right? Or in verse 18, he took near the end of the Psalm and he kind of just like stitched them together. So, you know, th- I'm not the only person who <laughs> this bothered, like, you know, you know, there are people much, much more smarter than me who, you know, live in these places called universities where we, we typically keep nerds, right? Bible nerds, right? Uh, we keep Bible jocks there too, David, in case you ever wanted to go there. So, you know, some, some of them are pretty jacked. Uh, but what it looks like here is that Paul and some of the New Testament authors have a different way of approaching scripture than I think traditionally uh, most Christians are comfortable with. There's an idea now of like whole Bible theology or the idea of like biblical theology or the idea that there are these big major like lines that go throughout scripture, these lines of thinking. And that what a lot of these new Testament authors were doing is they, they were, they were, they were looking at the whole thing and they were kind of like stitching that together. Even if the scriptures were separated, as we'll see from, you know, very, very far apart. Right. Uh, Cause they were looking at the entirety of scripture, not just, just one piece. So, you know, that kind of ended my crisis. Uh, but what it did is that it kind of opened up a whole new world for me of how to read the Bible, where I'm like, is this possible to do? Like, is this possible to think like this? Like, you know, and it, it got me really excited. Uh, is this, you know, is, is, this, is this something that was just for Paul? Or is this something like, like for all of us that, you know, we're just kind of keying into now, we're just kind of learning. And in some ways, you know, we're, we're very, very far behind are, you know, our Jewish brothers and sisters, because this is, this is kind of their bread and butter of rabbinic uh, thought and tradition. This is something that they, they did all the time, you know? So sometimes when we, we, when we read stuff in some of their writings that we think were crazy, right? You know, the whole, whole idea of there being fruit trees 
when they cross through the Red Sea, right, or the Reed Sea, uh, you know, we, we read that and like, well, that's crazy. Uh, but they got that because like they're, they're making all of these connections to like, you know, new creation, Genesis 1 through 11. Of course, there would be fruit trees because there has to be because there's all this other symmetry. Don't have time to go into that rabbit hole yet. But the main point is a lot of things that we've dismissed before, uh, you know, it kind of really keyed me in that, like, well, maybe, maybe there's some truth here. They're not crazy, <laughs> you know, like there's reasons why they, they thought these things. And here's another example, uh, right over, you know, right over in uh, chapter five, verse 14, not very far away. And this is a fun one uh, for, because if, if you read it here in chapter five, verse 14, it says, for it is light that makes everything visible. So it's kind of in the middle of a sentence. Sorry. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And this is this is very, very interesting because even if you, you know, when I looked in my NIV just to see where that was going to lead me, you know, the G, right? Wake up, O sleeper. That was going to connect me to Romans. And I was like, okay, maybe Romans 13 connects back because it seems like he's quoting from somewhere. No, that kind of just goes all around Paul's letters. And like, you know, so this is something that was on Paul's brain and into the writers of the New Testament gospels. Uh, but then H, right? Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That's I. Those do key in to Old Testament passages that keys into Isaiah 26, Isaiah 60, and Malachi 4.2. So this is, this is one quotation that Paul is taking like in a book, right? These are separated by lots of space, chapter 26 and chapter 60. And he's going to another book, right? He's going to Malachi. Uh, and so he's stitching all this stuff together and he's making some theological point. So when I said earlier that a lot of this stuff kind of represents like months, if not years of Pauline teaching, like Paul sitting down and walking people through the Torah and the Tanakh, like I mean it because when he says this stuff, he knows that they can go look it up. <laughs> he knows that he's talking to other people that know the scriptures, right? And he kind of just says it. And so you're assuming that people are tracking with him because they, they, they're they keying into some type of way that he's using the scriptures where that would make sense, you know, where he can go through Isaiah 26, 19, he can go through Isaiah 61, and he can go through Malachi 4, 2, and he can kind of take all of them together Right. And he can just say, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And everyone, everyone nods their head. Everyone's tracking. Right. Isaiah. Right. Right. Malachi. So that to me, you know, is really, really cool. Right. And it's 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 all it's all right there. Uh, so Paul seems to be using what we would call a whole Bible approach or biblical theology. Uh, when he teaches scripture, when compared to a scripture verse theology. So you can always tell when you're operating from a scripture verse mindset, when, you know, you find yourself saying things like, well, the Bible clearly says, well, the Bible says, boom, 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 without necessarily, you know, experiencing the whole breath and thought of the way, you know, the Bible is in almost like this dialogue with each other. Right. So each almost little quotation that, that Paul and a lot of the other authors of the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, um, you know, this represents a way of thinking, a way of approaching the scriptures that it seems, you know, very foreign. 
It seems very foreign to, it seemed foreign to me at first. And I think, you know, most modern biblical scholarship, as I'm learning, um, they're, they're almost trying to like retrace the steps, you know? And so Paul for me became very frustrating because I, I would get frustrated when, when I, because he does this quite often when I was like, he's just, he's misquoting scripture. Like why, why, why is he even in, in my Bible? Uh, to really being like, whoa, this guy is operating on a different level. Can, can I learn how to do that? <laughs> is this something that can be taught? Uh, you know, I keep on hearing a quote from Star Wars in the head, like not from a Jedi, you know, like I'm not saying this is dark side powers, uh, but I'm like, it's definitely not dark side powers. Let me back up from that. But I think that there's, there is a way of letting scripture itself inform the way uh, you should be reading it but you have to like kind of see all of the broad strokes. And I think most modern scholarships, they're trying to do like a lot of catch up work because I think a lot of these things are still, a lot of this stuff is still relatively new, like in, in meaning like it's, it's been going on for a hundred, 200 years or so. And people are, are, are still trying to like, you know, come to grips with uh, everything that Paul's doing here. So I have some questions for you guys. Guys, so is the way Paul's using scripture unique to Paul? Or do you think this is something that as Christians we are expected to learn how to do? I'm I'm curious. I know there's a diversity of opinions. Uh so no wrong answers there. I just want to know if you feel like this is this is only something the authors of the New Testament can do, or is this something that all Christians are expected at some point to to be able to understand how to do? Well, can, I, can I ask you a question? <clears throat> yeah. Because I don't disagree with that. Like I see Paul do it in Romans. Like they call it a string of pearls. What a rabbi does is yep. pull from here and there. And I understand all that. But in that one in particular, Paul, at least in the English, it didn't say it is written. It's, mm. It is said. Sure. And I know that there's also a lot of different like creeds or, or sayings that have come about maybe in we're around in those first 15, 20 years of the church sure. that we don't have written down. And I'm just wondering, because I feel like even if it was something that was said, it would still come from the same concept, right? Because like people probably did that same way of thinking to get a phrase like that to come. But I, I'm just asking because it, 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 he didn't say, because Paul will say things like it's written somewhere and then he'll quote something. He don't even tell you, you know what I mean? Um, right. So that's why I was wondering because it said it, it is said. That was just my, my, my question on that. Yeah, th that's true. That that could be an alternate explanation. Uh, there are probably better examples, you know, where it, you know, probably in the New Testament, you know, where it says like in the prophet Hosea and it, like they take a whole, you know, bunch of stuff from different people. Uh, but yeah, it could be. It could be maybe it was just this is what's said. Maybe it's a creed. Any other thoughts? Well, the question was, is something that oh, we sure. Can... Huh? Go ahead, Nick. I'm sorry. Did I miss your question? Well, no, I, I think I think it has to be in a sense, like even the way the New Testament authors quote from the Midrash, mm -hmm. like it's like it's something that's so uncomfortable for us. Right. And then, you know, Peter will say something like, oh, or, or whatever, you know, when, you know, Satan, you know, was arguing with the arch archangel about Moses's body. You know, you're not going to find that or the rock that, you know, was carried through the desert was Jesus. Right. That's or even one. like the one I just came across yesterday. Um was, you know, in Hebrews, it talks about like the parents when they saw that Moses was no ordinary child. And I always wondered about that passage. And I found out that there's actually a midrash that talks about the fact that Moses was a preemie. Mm. 
that that's why they didn't he was able to live for three months because they didn't come looking for that child earlier and then he was special that they said he was even born circumcised as the midrash that they oh, saw wow. he was special but it made me think of that and so i think like there is a whole another way of looking at scriptures that we really are behind on in a sense mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because of the way that we're looking at it so this to me does seem like a real option and i think it always is a little scary because when we say well yeah they did that because they wrote the bible <laughs> <laughs> or something, but yeah. I, well, I get to do that. And I, I still think it's one of those things where like, you know, you want to tread softly and kind of like, but at the same time, I don't think that like, if we are, if it is a trajectory and there is a new humanity, maybe there are times when something like that is appropriate. Um, although I think it would really take a lot of thorough, honest, un like checking yourself to make sure you're not just trying to make something sound to fit what you wanted to say. Um, but yeah, why not if it's done right? And I think it, I think that would be something that would have to be done probably in a group of mm. people that can talk. So you wouldn't, you know what I mean? And go back and forth and which is a very Jewish thing, like a Havara, you know, to talk through different things. And so, yeah. Yeah. On that. Cool. Awesome. Any other thoughts, guys? I think this was unique to Paul, or is this something that um, maybe we should get you know more comfortable with learning how to do or trying to learn? Um, I think it would be pretty cool. I think it would be pretty cool to learn. I mean, I don't know how you would learn that, but right. like that's like that seems like that seems pretty cool to learn. I think like. I think it'd be especially hard to introduce it because usually how sermons are done are like, you know, like the point kind of like the, the passage and then you give like where the practicals or like the points or whatever it is. And that's usually how it's done, but it's like, you want us to try to teach something like this. I, I don't know. Like, it's like, it's not, cause I think the sermons are more so geared towards, uh, kind of like telling you what to do i mean like you do something like this it's not it's not really trying to tell you what to do you know like i don't know like it's like it's i feel like it's like so much to examine that it's like you know uh yeah like uh, I, I don't know you know it, it would just take like a lot of work like you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it would take a lot of work. I, I think, you know, someone's going to say something. Sorry. I, I think this is uh, pretty high level yeah. uh, learning, Jimmy. Honestly, I, I mean, this is almost seminary type of work. Hmm. Um, uh, I mean, it, this. I mean, this is the this is the type of thing that I would I would definitely get in college. I don't think I would normally get this. Uh, definitely not in your normal Bible school type of thing, you know, growing up. Uh, and 
you know, I, I even have sometimes a little difficulty wrapping my head around this and I feel like I'm kind of a Bible nerd. Gotcha. So, you know, going through this in a, a few weeks has, um, has taken, you know, quite a bit of study and thought, you know, so I, I think this is, this is something it would take a while to teach. And how you, your question is, how would someone even learn how to do this? Well, yeah. this, this is not something you would sit down and, you know, you would teach to a group of people in nine weeks, I don't think, like, like we're doing. Yeah. Um, so it'd be advantageous to teach this. It definitely would be, um, it's, it's an idea of learning things in context, learning things, you know, and understanding that not everything is as simple as just looking at a few verses because it's very easy to take things out of context, understanding that, um, like, I think, first of all, a lot of people, uh, people need to read the Old Testament a lot more than they are, not just reading New Testament without understanding what it all refers to. I mean, that's, to me, that's very dangerous, not understanding the Tanakh and why all these references are being made and how it all fits together, the whole story. So um, definitely believe, yeah, Daniel, uh, not understanding all of this would be the first thing is to have people be much more, or having anyone be much more familiar with the Old Testament before they could even get into this. Right. If that may, yeah. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, even even like in the own, our own tradition, you know, like I always felt like, you know, because we have like a lot of studies that we do with people. And, you know, I think it's it's really great always to study the Bible, you know, all the time. But I almost feel like, you know, like I would love to see even like some of those, some of that, that bar like be lowered a little bit, but like the bar raised for what we teach people after, like, you know, like w once again, like having people who can, who can do some of this stuff, right. Uh, maybe sending some people to a college, you know, if, if we could, uh, and then, you know, having those teachers present, yeah. and then, you know, I, I've even heard of some church traditions, like they every now and then they bring in a rabbi and the rabbi like, you know, goes through some stuff uh, with them. And that, that's just common practice. Like they have good relationships with mm -hmm. the synagogues in the area. So I think that's, it's exciting to me, but it, it is a, a complex thing. And I don't think this is something, I don't think this would be the expectation for everyone out of the gate. But to me, what, what fascinates me about Paul is that he really does expect his readers to understand this. And he's talking to a mixed group. He's talking to a mixed group of, Jews and Gentiles. So I just think that's, it's exciting, <laughs> you know, in a lot of different ways. Right. I think like, cause I definitely feel what everybody's saying, it's what you know, Dwight, what you just said. I think like even in a snippet, like there is a difference between a story view of the Bible than a rule book view of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Cause if we're really following the story, then you can, after a while, kind of go like, hey, look at this thing that we see here, you know, Egypt, 
when you know is is you know the Hebrew word for Egypt is the word tight, and there's not generosity, right. you know, and then there's a famine, and where does everyone go? Oh, to Egypt, but it's tight, you know what I mean? To the point where Abraham, you know, he get, loses his trust and he lies, you know what I mean? And then you know in the Exodus, you know, they they grow up, and then the the new Pharaoh, I mean, the the, the you know the Israelites, they, they 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 grow so much, and then the new Pharaoh is tight and. He feels like they're a threat, so he doesn't want to. So he wants to oppress them. So then you can kind of see that same thing go to the monarchy, and what kind of caused problems with David. And then, you know, Solomon was so ruthless that when he died, you know, the the uh, I can't remember his name right now, but um, from the north comes down um, and says, "Hey, can you lighten the load?" Right. And his yep. son, he, your father was brutal to us, and he's like, "No, I'm not." And you, so, you, from a story perspective, you can actually start to see the whole thing throughout the whole Bible. Yeah. And that can allow us in a smaller way to, to do something in a sense like this, rather than just, we got the wrong story maybe, and we're, and we're doing a scripture verse to kind of prove that. But like to take it to this other level, yeah, I think it would take a lot more. But also like there's some uh, churches, um, I was part of one for a very long time, that didn't send many of their leaders at all to any kind of schooling. Um, they just raised them up to, to lead these evangelism churches because they thought that was the urgent, the only urgent need. Um, so there never was that teaching on a consistent basis. Um, so I think in snippets, yeah, but big, big way. I don't know. That's, that is a lot to, to chew. Yeah, it is. Um, Good stuff. Go for it, Dave. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, if anybody knows, but uh, I uh, I'm a, a a licensed practical nurse, uh, and so many many years ago, it's been a, forever since I ever since I practiced. But uh, one of the things that I remember is when I was going through school, um, when we learned something, uh, our teacher, our instructor, uh, professor, she used to say that we were like uh, uh, toddlers with switchblades <laughs> because because we had this little bit of knowledge. And because we had this this little bit of knowledge, we we wanted to put it into practice right away, right right away. And what the problem is, because we didn't have the entire picture, we didn't have a wealth of knowledge. We only had a little bit, a little snippet. We we were dangerous, so we were toddlers with with switchblades. So uh, it's it, it, to me, it's uh, it in order to do what Paul was doing here. Um, I think the level of expertise has to be extremely high and it's not um i think that if somebody who only has a, a basic understanding or hasn't put in the time uh to learn the scripture to to learn uh as much you know they can start um manipulating scripture to to what end you know yeah. whether it's good intended or intentions or not and so uh, to me, it just seems like in whose hands um, is this? If somebody who, who has put in the time, who has put in um, the effort to, to have the knowledge, sure, they can, they can play with it a little bit. Um, play with it doesn't, it's not the right, right terminology, but they can use, you know, um, they can speak to us to a group of people who are tracking with them and understand that they're not really manipulating scripture. They're just um, trying to bring you into a whole picture. 
But if somebody doesn't have that level of expertise, then essentially it is manipulating scripture. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can I ask a question? Because I loved your example of the toddlers with switchblades. <laughs> I like that too. Um, so, but like, but then sometimes don't we often do the same thing? We take someone through a seven part study series and tell them that they're, re- they're really a Christian now and everybody else isn't. And then they walk around thinking that they're theologians and they're like toddlers with switchblades. Hmm. Also, so like if we if we if we really if we're really handling some serious stuff, then maybe we don't even maybe we're not even equipped to judge people as often as we were taught to. Like maybe we just need to work work on our own journey and just love people. Um, I just want to throw that out there because I feel like we because it's almost like. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I I get exactly what you're saying, but um, to me, if if anybody, if anybody, uh, you know, whenever whenever I hear the term "you're a real Christian" or "I'm the real Christian" or or "real," uh, that just that just brings up a lot of red flags to me. Um, and you know, one of the things that, at least for me, when when I became a Christian, and I thought, well, how how am I supposed to go out and help anybody else? I'm just, I'm new to this. This stuff is, is very new to me and, and I'm a novice at it. How am I supposed to help others? And uh, what I was told by some very wise people, one of them being in this group uh, is to share my story, to, to share my, what, what, what impacted me, share my testimony. And that, instead of becoming a, a theology uh, professor or, or yeah. uh, a real Christian, just tell them what helped, what impacted me. And I think if we, if there is a tradition or if, if even if it was my tradition that used to go around saying, now you're the real Christian and now go and teach theology to everybody else. Uh, I think, you know, we're missing the mark. Right. And I think it still happens. And I think you're right. And that was kind of why I just wanted to, throw it out there just as a, cause you may have been shared something really good, but you know, like, which is good, you know what I mean? But sometimes the stuff's still out there in a subconscious, in a subliminal way. So, you know, that's all. I just wanted to throw that out there. Cause you know, it's a, it's a really great metaphor. The toddlers with switchblades thing. Um, yeah. That's what I saw. So I just loved it. You can use it. It wasn't really mine. I borrowed it from somebody else. So you can, you can use it. Make that a hashtag. Hashtag toddlers with switchblades. Yeah, just don't make it like a video, like showing that. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna throw it up on the screen, but I don't want to get deleted. So cool, guys. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. Uh, It's something that that I've been wrestling with too, because I think uh, you know a lot of people kind of float around the word word like deconstruction, and I think like noticing some of the stuff it, it can lead to what some would call like a deconstruction. A deconstruction is where you start questioning like the religious architecture of your tradition and like w- what's actually true and what's really not true. And, uh, you know, people can kind of throw that around as a, as a dirty word. Uh, but I do think there, there's a, there's a possibility and there's a way to, you know, not have everyone have to start at this point, but just have that humility of just like, okay, we, we're going to be learning more and more. Like even, even like what Paul says in Ephesians, like, you know, like praying for an apocalypse to keep having the apocalypse, that you'll keep knowing uh, the depths that surpasses, you know, anything you can conceive of. And I, I think that's, 
that's true of the Bible and that's true of God working in the world. And um, so, yeah, and I, but I do think there are people that do it well. I think, you know, think about BEMA. I think five sessions of BEMA. I, I want to get my T-shirt. I survived all five seasons of BEMA. Um, you know, I could see doing that with a group of people in like five years, you know, and you, I think at the end of that, you have a pretty good understanding of a lot of the broad strokes, um, you know, and the way they do it, it's, you know, it's quite enjoyable for the most part, you know, to kind of go through that and, and listen to all that. So, well, yeah. You know, even, even Mark talks about, uh, from BEMA talks about uh, discipleship and what mm-hmm. the biblical term of discipleship. And that's, that was an apprentice that you were, you know, eating breakfast with all the way yep. to, to, you know, Mm-hmm. spending an entire entire day days together for for years and that's um that's how you know that's the kind of commitment that's the kind of uh time that it would take for years to to really uh, get to yeah. a level where where you're looking at 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 this broad base instead of instead of you know scripture and verse like like you mentioned earlier yeah yep Cool guys. So let's, uh, any other thoughts on that? I know this is probably a big topic. Um, but real quick, kind of like rounding the corner, um, unless you guys want to, you know, jump in, need to say anything, uh, you know, three contrasting realities coming out of the, the first bookend of four through six, right? Old versus new humanity, darkness to light, foolish to wise. And then we come across something that's kind of called the household code. Um, that's something that I think I'm going to do that in a bonus episode because I wanted to get to the armor of God at the end. I think that is very interesting to think about. Uh, you know, this idea of you're going to have these forces that are going to want to drive us apart, right? And, you know, there's unity that's possible now because of what everything Jesus did. And then there's also having to fight for that unity, uh, you know, and there's the the whole famous passage, the armor of God, um, you know, where again, Paul is looking for unity, not uniformity necessarily. It, this unity is under attack by the powers uh, and it needs to be protected. So there's this whole big passage of the armor of God. I'm not going to read it. I'm sure that we're all very similar. We're all very familiar with it. Um, but something just to, to keep in mind is that I think, when I first encountered that, I read that as a very individualistic, you know, okay, I have to put on the armor of God. I have to put on the breastplate. I have to put on the helmet. I have to take up the sword where I'm not saying that that's not necessarily true, but remembering that all of the yous in Ephesian are you all, uh, there could be this idea of like corporately, like as a, as a body of Christ, there needs to be this putting on of the armor. So like if Jesus isn't necessarily like just me, right? Because if you look at me, you're not necessarily going to see Jesus, right? Unless you you have an apocalypse and you can see like the the not yet reality that I'm living into. But when you look at me in a group in the church, I should be reflecting, we should all be reflecting Jesus out to the world. It's just a very interesting take to me that, you know, Paul is kind of saying here, like putting on the armor of God as a community. Um, And so just to kind of close out Ephesians here, um, 
have you ever thought about that before about the armor of God being something that we put on as a church, not necessarily individually? Uh, and how, how does that look? How do you, does that change the verse at all for you when you think about, okay, this was written you all, not you, or what do you guys think? I'll, I'll jump in. I think it sure. definitely changes. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't because um, to, yeah. to some extent, yeah, we, we are, it, I think this passage is talking to us individually to put on the armor of God. But when, when we look at it as, as a community, um, it, it puts an emphasis on me to look out for my, for my, my church, my group, my, my, whether, you know, it's your family group or, or your whole congregation. Um, it, it puts uh, an emphasis on uh, all of us moving together. Uh, if, if there's somebody who's lacking in one of these aspects, whether it's faith or um, love or any, you know, that it's not just, hey, brother, you got to work on that. It's, you know, it's my job to help uh, that, that brother or sister overcome or, or strengthen themselves or, or help them put on the armor of, of God, not just, you know, pointing out what they need to work on and, you know, give them the good luck with that yeah. uh, sign. You know, kind of piggybacking off of what you're saying, even like, you know, picking up some of the strands that we talked about before, you know, like about different gifts and needing like a diversity of leadership, you know, I know a lot of people that, that, that I've known that, you know, like I feel very grateful for, cause I wouldn't be a Christian if it wasn't for them. You could drop them off in a city with like five bucks and like a Bible and like, you know, come back two years later and there's going to be hundreds of people in that church. Like, you know, like they, they have that gift, you know, like you drop me off at a place with five bucks and a Bible. I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a coffee and I'm going to try and call someone to pick me up, <laughs> you know? But you give me a Bible and you give me a space and you give me like enough time. I, I feel pretty confident at this point in my life that I could I could lead someone through some of the big themes in the Bible just just by reading it and talking about it with people. And I know, you know, a lot of people in this call could, could do the same, too. You know, so there, there's this idea of, of you know, maybe corporately uh, putting on the armor, you know, allowing for that diversity of opinion and protecting that. You know, this idea of like, you have to protect this unity. And that sometimes means protecting a voice that's different than yours, you know? A any other thoughts on this? No, I just, I like what you both said. Um, and I think that that's kind of the thing, you know, I feel like you need all of it. Like if you have like a top heavy kind of, let's go, go, like, so you need somebody who's an extrovert and very task oriented and wants to think through problems. But like what makes a church survive is the phone calls and the getting together yeah. and the being there when someone's struggling and praying with someone. Um, and like, so when you have it, but, it, but if all you have is the other side of it, then maybe nothing ever gets done because no one is organizing or putting in that kind of thought also so it's all of us working together and appreciate it without like overvaluing one gift for another, but just really working together as a team um, or as a body, really. So I really love, love what you said. I, I think sometimes it's just hard 
once there's a structure or like like once there's some some kind of obligation whether it's financial or whether it's there's a hierarchy set up it can get a little tough but like when it's just really us loving one another and saying hey jimmy maybe you know like you're organizing this i'll let you do this dave you've got this special quality about you i want you to lead this and help this and dwight you're so nurturing you know like i want you to you know speak whatever once a month just to really love up people and, and and just make them feel uh you know loved and 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 just like they're special like like you do all that together with without making one always being more dominant than the other i think is beautiful like you need all of it you know what i mean like we need the people that go out there with five dollars in a bible and tell everybody about jesus and then we need the people that do this to help people have a, a, a better understanding of what they're actually reading in, and then and they're really looking at the world the way the writers of the Bible were. So like, I just kind of piggybacking on what you're saying, both of you guys, it's beautiful. I think we need all of it. Yeah. I know just, my, I just got to say what you said about overvaluing, undervaluing, that was fantastic. I just had to mm. say that to you. Really oh, great you. point. Yeah, really was. I was just going to say, you know, being individualistic just seems so very selfish. Mm -hmm. uh, just looking out for myself instead of pulling everyone together and watching each other's back. And when you talk about armor, you're talking about warfare. And I just think of, even about the Romans, how, you know, with their shields, when they interlocked with each other, they were almost unstoppable. And, uh, you know, the warfare, and if we, we really talk about, you know, how Paul really looked at this, you know, the powers that be, that it was a very serious thing. And, and especially the way that he could see how this would, would be an attack on the unity, you know, and without everybody watching out for each other, uh, this armor, it was so important, especially because everybody had different weaknesses and that this armor would be something that each of us would, you know, have to corporately have on because different pieces of armor would have different chinks, chinks in the armor. So we would all be covering each other up. So I could see how, you know, different people with their different strengths would be covering each other uh, metaphorically, if you would but uh, truly using each other's strengths, using each other's individual talents, which he talked about earlier. Uh, I could just see how this would definitely change, especially compared to the way I looked at it before. Uh, let me take care of myself, which was, you know, much more selfish, even though I would, you know, in the past I would die for someone else, but just the idea of me, Versus, versus you all. Yeah. It's awesome. I think Daniel Makoku wrote something, you know, he's been chiming in. I don't know if you could say we'll see that or not, but I thought it was just nice to hear his thoughts on that too. Um, um, yeah, he said, that. I think God has enough grace for us to make sure we follow him by faith. Uh, if all of us put on the full armor, we all represent the armor. And good leaders will do exactly that. I think he was, I think that was one we were talking about that like good leaders will protect 
that diversity of opinions and not value uh, one person's gifts or one group of people over another. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Great comments, Daniel. Keep coming, man. Good stuff. So, yeah, that that's kind of where uh, the book ends. You know, Paul kind of just, you know, gives a few more greetings. He, he mentions his crew that are there, like way back to our intro to Paul. We mentioned that, you know, the one big myth is that Paul was writing alone in a room while God was correcting his spelling and telling him what to say. You know, it was much more of uh, there was a community of people. That's the way letters were written, right? Even if you were just sending the letter, you usually had someone professional there helping you write the letter. Uh, you know, Paul kind of names his crew. He, he ends here. Uh, and I think, you know, we'll end here as well. There, there are many more things that we could have talked about. We could have gone into Isaiah when we're talking about the armor of God. We could have even went into Romans where, you know, Paul seems to be talking about kind of similar things uh, when he's talking about putting on Christ. Uh, but you know, we are, we are at our end. We're about four minutes away from this being over. Uh, final thoughts, guys. Uh, what's something that, you know, that you're grateful for this experience about us being together and just getting to talk and just getting to look at the scriptures and look a little bit closer at Paul. Well, I'm, I'm very grateful for, um, all the different, uh, facets, first of all, that you brought to this, um, Jimmy, and then having all the other guys on the discussion group, um, it brings a lot more depth to the depth, um, having this fellowship, if you would. Um, I definitely uh, am so thankful for just the eye-opening um, experience that this has. It's definitely helped me uh, see things differently. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Dwight. I, I agree with that. And also, I'm looking forward to going back and, you, you know, when I get out of the couple of things I'm looking at right now, then do a deep dive with the material that you provided hmm. um, and really be able to let this stuff, you know, resonate in my brain. Because um, it's really, it is really good stuff. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate everyone else's opinions also. Because we've got so many different different stages of life. You know what I mean? Coming coming into this conversation and probably even maybe like different things that are important for us right now that maybe 10 years ago were different. Like, so it's cool to hear that because all of it's so important and valid. And that's kind of how you get the unity versus the uniformity is by creating a space like this. So I think you kind of help do that with this lesson show kind of how we can be united without uniformity. Cool. I wanted to jump in and just say, listen, uh, I'm very grateful for you, Jimmy, for putting this this whole thing together and the time and the effort that that it has taken for you to put this together. Um, And I'm grateful also for everybody else in the group. I I feel like uh, every person in here, you know, is has has said something or or has pointed something out that I hadn't thought of. Uh, it's making me it's making me look at things a little different and understand their experiences a little bit different. Uh, and you know, sometimes I can get long winded, and so I appreciate everybody else's patience with me <laughs> with me as well when I'm answering some questions. 
So awesome. thank you, Jimmy. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. Awesome. Uh, I'll just say, I think I think I really enjoy. I just like to enjoy hearing everybody answer the questions. I don't know. I, it's interesting to just hear what other people think, and I think it's always nice, like when you can like hear somebody like say something and it's like oh yeah I was thinking that too or I'm not crazy or you know it's like yeah 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 so I I really enjoyed like the discussion part that maybe that was maybe that was my favorite part but I, I like the thing overall yeah me, me too Andre I think my favorite part was uh getting all you guys together and then just you know hearing the discussions uh when we had our discussion part so uh Thank you guys so much uh, for, you know, showing up, Um, you know, stay tuned for some announcements uh, for some things I'm I'm thinking of in the future. We're probably reaching out to all you guys in the next week or so just to get your thoughts and just to bounce a few ideas off of you guys of some things that I've been thinking. Uh, But you guys are awesome. As always, adios, muchachos. Adios, muchachos. 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 I think I said it's the order. Muchachos. Yes. Me. Thank you, guys. Love you guys. Take care.